Episode 191 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Cloud Accounting Software FreshBooks, offering you a free 30-day trial. To find out more, visit freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. People who chase achievement, there's two things that happen to them. One is that they actually get what they want and they realize all the things that were supposed to be here aren't. And then the other one is they don't get what they're chasing, so they suffer this profound disappointment because they feel like a failure. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hey there, so glad you're here, and I hope you're having a fantastic day. You found the podcast that is indeed dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where we dig into personal and professional growth and topics like leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and a lot more. Now, in just a minute, you and I are going to be joined by a guy who I've had a chance to become friends with here these last few months. His name is Seth Bueckley. He's the author of a book called Ambition, Leading with Gratitude. I'll be asking Seth to share about how leaders can easily get burned out by their own ambition, the role gratitude plays in regard to satisfaction and contentment, what he's learned about how to intentionally leave a legacy, and lots more. You might say that the Read to Lead podcast is my own small way of leaving a legacy, which makes me very appreciative of organizations like FreshBooks Cloud Accounting Software who make it all possible in the first place. You may have heard me talk about their free 30-day trial before. If you haven't yet, check that out. Even if you're not sure you would use it or need it long term, there's no risk at all for you to give it a try and find out all that FreshBooks can do for you and your business. It's the only accounting software I have ever used in my business and nothing would get me to give it up for something else. Even if you're happy with what you're currently using, I encourage you to give FreshBooks a try just to see what you may be missing. No risk to do so. That 30-day trial is absolutely free, no credit card needed, and you get access to all of FreshBooks features during that trial. To check it out, just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. That lets FreshBooks know these announcements actually work. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Seth Bueckley is a serial entrepreneur and business founder focused on connecting high potential leaders with the ideas, resources, and people they need to grow their enterprise and have lasting leadership impact. No small feat. Uh, currently, he serves as, as chairman and CEO of Cathedral Consulting, leading a team of consultants focused on providing financial systems, strategy, and merger and acquisition support to emerging businesses and nonprofits under $20 million in sales. His previous role was as president of Solid USA, and Seth led the company to annual sales of nearly $60 million before selling the firm to a venture partner. He's a recognized TEDx and keynote speaker and loves to deliver motivational and leadership training to audiences across the United States. His new book, the one we're going to talk about today, is called Ambition, Leading with Gratitude. Seth, uh, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. 
Jeff, I'm very excited to uh, be with you from uh, Oregon. Well, tell me a little bit more about the company Solid USA and eventually turning that company around to sales of, of almost $60 million. Yeah, sure. Um, my roots are in the telecommunications space, more specifically in the, the wireless industry. And that was the first business that uh, my dad and I got involved in in the late 80s. And one of the things that we saw coming down the pike, so to speak, was the need for cellular services inside of large buildings because the radio waves don't naturally get there. Mm. And over time, that became a bigger and bigger issue. And so Solid uh, USA was specialized in the area of making those smartphones work inside large venues. And so it could be stadiums, airports, uh, subways, skyscrapers. So we had some really nice marquee contracts, you know, New York Subway and you know Daytona International and just many, many more that you would recognize. So it was a very uh, fast paced, quick changing business. Well, Seth has what you might call an unusual upbringing. Uh, that's probably the word that I would use. I think it's rare, it's safe to say. Seth, let's begin uh, with where the book begins. Share, if you would, your your young life uh, growing up in a, in a commune. Sure. You know, if you were coming of age in the 60s, you, you know what a, a commune is, or at least you may have heard of one. Uh, and so my parents were coming of age in the, in the 60s. And so they ended up in Southern Oregon in this place where, um, you know, people were coming together. It was you know, kind of this religious experience, but it was also this coming together and sharing of, of the resources and sharing of the work and uh, kind of doing life together. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, after I was born, I was there pretty quickly and, and um, really grew up for 17 years in this environment. And so we went to public schools, but I lived in this commune. And so it was definitely a different uh, way of growing up. Well, one of the things I appreciated most about the book, Seth, was the transparency you show as you share some of the hard lessons you've, you've learned along the way in business and in life. And, and whether it's from your childhood or whether uh, it's as an adult, what are, what are a couple of the examples you can share that you feel uh, you learned from the most? Well, I think one of the things in terms of uh, keeping it in the context of, of struggle is that I, I think most of us are driven by our dysfunction until we <laughs> deal with it, right? And I was just talking to a, a really gifted entrepreneur this morning and this topic came up and that is, you know, he was talking about how he struggles in the area of needing to control everything. And the lesson he keeps learning is that he's got to let go. And I commented that, yeah, we all have those, those, those kind of those scars or those dents or those, those biases that come into our life, usually from some sort of a hardship or tra traumatic experience where we kind of react to it in a way that may actually fuel our early success, but, but later on in life becomes kind of a liability. And so in my case, I had this, this kind of this promise that I wanted to prove that I could be successful because I was in an environment where people really weren't cheering for my success. Mm. Our commune became, you know, somewhat of a personality cult, like most communes are prone to. Mm. And so I didn't feel like there was people there that were really hoping for the best of me. And so I kind of formed this promise, like, you know, I'm going to go show them. And in, in many ways that that becomes somebody once called it dirty fuel, right? So I'm motivated, <laughs> but I'm but I'm motivated by dirty fuel mm -hmm. and learning to deal with that would was something that I've have had to work on. Well let's let's shift uh, a little bit to specifically ambition. Speak to your belief that the leaders who make the biggest impact in the world are those who avoid getting burned out by 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 their own ambition. 
Yeah, I think if we're honest, we see a lot of talented people around us who um, have everything going on. And then we start to look a little closer and we start to see the, the kind of the fractures in their in their life behind the scenes because they're so focused on their desire to grow their business or to become a success in whatever event area they've proven that they they start to miss the other parts of, of life that, that really hold things together. And so what I've observed with ambitious people is that they are often self-destructing because they're living at a pace, they're so focused on their, their achievement through their work that they start to uh, neglect their relationships, they start to neglect their health, they start to neglect their faith, and pretty soon their life just becomes consumed by all the things they're chasing, um, but they're maybe not developing a, a foundation that gives them the underpinnings to actually become successful in, in across the board in life. They're, they're so tied up in this business and this achievement that those things end up really destroying them because they, they went all in in uh, one area instead of keeping it in balance. I, I love what you say in regard to achievement. You, you say that satisfaction and contentment, I guess, aren't on the other side of achievement. They're found on the other side of, of, of gratitude. Yeah. Um, we live in a culture and particularly, you know, a lot of the personal development information that's out there, it plays on this, this, this natural drive, or at least let's call it the drive that is present in some people, which is you can achieve, you know, you can go, you need to set goals, you need to drive. I mean, we hear a lot about the word hustle. I think that one's probably <laughs> played out. Right. And, and so there's this implication that if you just go for it and push that you're going to get quote unquote what you want. And, you know, I thought it was important for me to, to throw the flag and say, actually, that's not true. I mean, even the science says, the social science says the focus on materialism actually is a, is a precursor to negative emotion. It's not uh, something that delivers on this promise of satisfaction. And so, you know, what I observe is that people who chase uh, achievement, there's two things that happen to them that are both pretty bad. One is that they actually get what they want and they realize, oh my goodness, all the things that were supposed to be here aren't. And then the other one is they don't get what they're chasing. And then so they suffer this profound disappointment because they feel like a failure. In my view, that's actually the reality of what being driven you're, you're going to be faced with. You're going to be faced with disillusionment when you get what you want, and you're going to be faced with disappointment when you don't. And so it's okay to be ambitious, but we really have to learn to mitigate those emotions that are going to come. And I find that gratitude uniquely solves for those problems. The, does a Porsche help with with problems? <laughs> no, but it sounds really good in third gear. I'll, that's all I want to say about that. A <laughs> uh, little little inside joke uh, for those who have read the read the book. Uh, well, when it comes to entrepreneurs and, and traits, personality traits, and otherwise associated with entrepreneurs, you, you believe that there are uh, two sides to each of these, don't you? I do. Yeah, I came to that epiphany, uh, you know, <laughs> in a very difficult moment where I called a friend of mine, and and I was just like, all right, I'm here again. I'm, I'm struggling. And I was talking about b being ambitious, being driven. And he says, you know, he goes, I learned in seminary that on the other side of every real primary emotion, there's another corresponding emotion. So being driven is great. But, you know, a lot of times on the other side of that, you know, there's this sense of envy. And I about fell out of my chair when he said it, <laughs> because I, I really felt like it had pegged something in, in my own life. And it, it's interesting when you when you are open and you are listening. And I called this guy for help because I, I needed, you know, it's kind of a mentor in some ways. And because I think I was open, I think I got the answer. And the answer was that I had really been driven a lot by 
by envy of what other people had, even though I'd been given so much. And, and I started to learn and see that there is a corresponding side to most emotions. And so to, to learn to be mindful of that. And for me, being driven and being ambitious, I've had to pay attention to the downsides of that personality trait and learn to be very sensitive to those things when they keep coming back to me. And they do come back. You know, I find that even though I do have a great relationship with gratitude, I drift very quickly. You know, it could be a matter of days and I got to come right back to getting clear again. Uh, I love this analogy you share. I think it's in chapter seven on motivation and purpose, the curvature of the earth. Talk, Talk about this tendency ambitious people have of often losing sight of a goal they're nearing the completion of for the next big thing they, they now see on the horizon. Yeah. So I used to call it the curvature of the earth. I've come up with a better phrase from a uh, sociologist that I'll share in a bit. But th- this it's this notion that is, is the earth is curved and we plant this flag out in front of us and we tell ourselves, all right, if I could achieve that goal, that would really deliver on something that's important to me. And then as we get closer to it, we start to see something that's beyond it. And, and I think this works in business. It works, frankly, in our networking and our relationships. You know, there's people we think, man, if I could only meet them and then we meet them and pretty soon they're old news. And we're like, if I could only meet somebody else. And and we start to look past the the goals that we set. And there's there's two problems with that. Number one is we don't often celebrate our victories or take a good account of how far we've come. And, and I think that's really important in developing a mindset of gratitude is to, to really give thanks for for our, our gifts, our opportunities and, and where we've come from and to just keep that front and center. The second is we overlook the people and the opportunities that are actually around us right now because we're living out in the future, trying to do these things that are out ahead of us and kind of unknown things. And we're not actually present where we're at because our head starts to look further ahead. And there's some value in, in being forward focused, but there's also some uh, challenges of that. And, and so let me share with you that social scientists uh, have a phrase that's called hedonic adaptation. I found uh, as I was doing some research on this, hedonic adaptation shows up when something really traumatic happens in somebody's life. You can observe that it may have been something so traumatic, they might have said things like, you know, if this ever happened to me, I could I could never survive it. Mm. But then something happens to them. And what you observe is they, they do survive it. And eventually they learn to deal with it. And so the same thing happens to us when great things, even amazing things happen in our life, is that we just learn to deal with it. We learn to take it as the new normal and it loses its kind of emotional buzz or emotional reward for us. And so what I observe with driven people is we're very susceptible to this trap that is hedonic adaptation where we're just chasing and we're running hard on this treadmill, but we're actually not covering any ground because we're we're not moving anywhere emotionally with the quality of our life, but we're we're sure moving our feet a lot. And um, you know that's that's kind of my observation about something we need to be mindful of as driven personalities. Mm. Now, Seth titles chapter eight, reaching for your potential, and I appreciated the, the distinction that that he makes here. Talk about the difference, Seth, between reaching your potential and reaching for your potential. Well, you know, Jeff, if I called you and said, hey, good news, uh, June 16th last year, you reached your potential. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you still have 20, 30 years of, of, of productive, you know, energy. Let's go that, with 40. You know, yeah, they, 40. There you go. <laughs> so, so you never want to hear, nobody wants to hear that they reached, they've accomplished and mm. reached their potential. But I think the underlying point here and the reason I highlight the word reaching for your potential is what really satisfies us is knowing that we're making progress in an area that's important to us. Mm. 
And so really taking the time to think about what your potential is. And I, I think a lot of us, we don't step back to actually ask that question. And then number two, getting somebody around you that you trust enough and I have a test for that I'd be glad to share. Of mm. How do you know who to trust to help you think bigger than you might normally think about what your potential is? So I think a lot of us are used to making sure that our ego doesn't run us off the rails. Mm. But just as dangerous is this thing that happens to us where we think too little of ourselves and we don't believe for big enough things. And, and so the challenge here is to appropriately size these areas that are important to us and then to take intentional action in, in those directions. And so reaching for your potential is really an investment in yourself. And you know that you're doing it when you're growing, right? And, mm -hmm. um, and frankly, if you're not growing, then you have to, you really should ask the question, am I reaching for my potential or am I just kind of mailing it in at this point? You mentioned the word belief. I'd love to get your thoughts on on a mantra I've shared a few times on the show that that was first spoken to me by a guy I think you probably know of named Seth Godin. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, we don't take action because we believe. We believe because we take action. Then he punctuated that, put sort of the, the exclamation point on that, I should say, with do first, believe second. Interesting. How, how do you feel about that? I think I could I think I could get comfortable with that. I, I've been thinking lately that the first thing you need is you need a vision, mm -hmm. right? You need a you need you need you gotta catch a glimpse. And so I was kind of starting this process of how do you define your potential with this idea of vision, but but I was in a, a, a small mastermind in my office the other day, and one of the, my favorite leaders, a guy named Trevor Mock, he was giving some feedback to a friend, and he says, you know, you got to start with a dream. And I thought, wow, that a dream is even better than a vision, meaning a vision is kind of like, all right, what can I see? But starting even, even higher up than that, what is a dream? Like beyond what you can imagine, to actually start the exercise there and then move into, okay, all right, now what can I see? right? Which would be, I mean, be vision. Mm. And then I feel like now you got to say, all right, and do I believe that I can actually do something about that? And it, I would love to dig a little bit deeper into what, what Seth Godin was saying here, which is this idea that when it comes to asking yourself the question of, do I believe it, that perhaps he's saying, well, the way you find out is you start and that's how you generate belief. So I could probably mm. get comfortable with that. I definitely will say this. I know that the starting is where the power is because mm. I like to say you don't, you can't know until you go. And a lot of us will sit back and, you know, plan. And I think it was Paulo Coelho says, sometimes planning is just another form of procrastination. <laughs> and I thought, ouch, you mm. know, that one really hurt. But uh, I think there's something very powerful in this idea of starting and letting things unfold after you start. Now, let's turn attention from us to, to, to other people. One of my favorite quotes from the book is, be the mentor you wish you had. What are some practical ways, Seth, that we can, we can live this out? So for me, the, the idea of being a mentor is kind of a corollary to this question of, well, who do you trust to help you reach for your own potential and help mm -hmm. you frame that? And then you shift into, okay, now who trusts you to help them reach for their potential? Is this the trust test you were alluding to earlier or is it that something else? No, but I'll share the trust test here in a minute. Okay, okay. I'm going to build some suspense from this because I'm so, <laughs> I'm actually so excited about it. I haven't I haven't shared it on a, a podcast. Before, oh, okay. But, um, 
this is where, you know, uh, for me, this is about impacting my world. And um, I find, as I mentioned earlier, that sometimes I live so much in the future that I'm overlooking these people mm. right next to me that I actually touch. And so if you take this from the faith perspective, and I was thinking about this recently, you know, Jesus walked with 12 disciples and those 12 disciples changed the world. You know, he wasn't chasing the crowd, right? Mm. In fact, the crowds were chasing him. And so why were the crowds chasing him? They were chasing him because he invested, you know, he was clear about what he was doing and he invested in these 12 people. And it just made me, I've just been thinking, uh, you know, over the last while around, it's really making an investment in these people we actually touch and feel. And so what happens to many of us is as we start to get traction professionally, we start to chase our own dreams, we start to live out ahead of ourselves and we begin to overlook the people that are actually right around us. And we're so busy chasing that next mentor who can help us develop a framework for our success that we don't realize that that's our job and really our obligation and our honor to do with mm -hmm. the people around us. So this is where I, I recommend, you, you know, we take an assessment and say, where am I serving in my community, my church, in my business? And, and am I being that mentor to those people like I wish I had, because I think once we do that job better, our needs will be met. We'll, those mentors in our world will show up at the right time. But if we're so selfish, we're only thinking about who we can be mentored by, and we don't stop and think about who we can actually mentor, we're short-circuiting the process because we, we actually need to do both. I feel like when some hear the term leaving a legacy, that, that on the surface can feel a little egotistical just to say it out loud. <laughs> but, yeah. I, but when you're talking about you know, being the mentor you wish you had, what I hear you saying is doing that leads to leaving a legacy if it's with the right heart and the right attitude. Is that, is that fair to say? It is. And, and for me, the, the, the framework is focus on growing by reaching for my potential. That's really focusing on me, right? Mm -hmm. And then I focus on impacting my world by, by investing in these people. Right. Mm. And if I do the me part and the these part well, then I win the right to influence those people who maybe I never see, might never meet them face to face. They may come into the picture long after I'm gone. And so I, I think if you do the, the work on the front end of reaching for your potential and, and, and imp impacting the people that are in your, your environment, you know, if you do that well, you're set up to really leave a legacy. And, and for me, the legacy is a legacy of values. You know, it's a legacy of the ideas. And I think we're in an interesting time now because, you know, this podcast is going to be available for my great grandchildren. They're going to hear my voice mm. and they're going to understand how I saw the world and how I processed through the challenges that were present, you know, a hundred years before them. And that is the legacy. You know, whether they get a trust fund or they see some building named after me, you know, that's interesting. But I really think the opportunity around leaving a legacy is this transferring of values and being intentional about it. And uh, I'm motivated to do that, but uh, it's still uh, how to do it the right way is still something I'm trying to figure out. But I, I, I have hints and the hints mm -hmm. are record the values and transfer those intentionally. And I like some of the, the real world examples you share in the book from Theodore Roosevelt uh, to John Maxwell and, and John Wooden and their fathers and what their fathers did to uh, leave what has obviously been a legacy for all three of those family trees. Yeah, it was a wonderful common denominator to see just that that investment in in their kids and the influence and impact that they had. And, you know, and again, back to the, the example of what Jesus showed in terms of just leadership. It's the mm. investment in the 12 that that really changed the world. Mm. And so, uh, 
it's, it's fascinating there. So let me share with you real quick this, this idea of who to trust. Mm. Can I do that? Yes, yes, please. All right. So I've been thinking about this for a while because, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of the backstory. I, I finished a meeting with somebody I was trying to reconcile a very difficult uh, issue with. And I ended up feeling that they kind of patted me on the back and said, you know, I don't really accept your apology. Uh, you don't really mean it. And furthermore, you know, you and I are probably never going to be fishing buddies anyhow. So I'm OK with this. You know, it was a big meeting and I was it was just kind of a disappointing outcome. And as I was thinking about what went on in this meeting, I realized at the end of the day that this person didn't really love me. And I thought, all right, so why are you so obsessed about whether you're reconciling this relationship? And so there's there's two answers to that. Number one, I, I am a person of faith and as a Christian, the obligation is to me is to go try and reconcile with mm. my brother. Mm. And, and I felt like I did that. But I can only be responsible for one, one, one side of that, that discussion. And at the end of the day, I felt like, you know, this person doesn't love me. So there's probably no reason I need to let that rattle around in my head. I need to just move on and not, not obsess over it. And so I began to see that there's, there's really four things that characterize somebody that I want to trust enough to give real influence in my life. Mm. And the first is that they have some level of expertise. So I don't go to somebody for advice about housing if they are in the aerospace industry, right? So, you, you know, <laughs> let's just say you got to have a, some context, some, some expertise. But the next three are the ones that I feel are the most powerful. And that is, does this person know me? Do they actually know what makes me tick? Mm. And they have context about who I am. The second one is, do they love me? Can I count on them to give me advice and feedback that is purely for my benefit, even, you know, even negative feedback that's purely for my benefit, that there's no ax to grind? And then the last one is, do they share my values? Because I actually find that there's a fair amount of people who know me and actually love me, but they don't share my values. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm trying to think through, you know, what I should do and where I should go, I have to keep in mind that the amount of weighting that I give their opinion should be limited. As an example, let's say I'm completely sold out to the idea of saving the whales, right? Mm. And But the person I'm asking for advice from is, is completely sold out to the idea that global warming is a hoax. And so that would be an area where I would say, all right, in this area of do they share my values, they don't actually pass the test. And so I have to be a little bit careful on how much influence I give them. Mm. So to summarize, it's Obviously, you go to them for their expertise in the first place, but to really bank a lot of weight into what these people and the influence we give them, I, they, they need to know us, they need to love us, and they need to share our values. And so that's how I'm processing who I seek advice and, and counsel from as I figure out what's next in, you know, in, in my journey. I love that. So you said that's the first time you've, you've shared that publicly? It is. It may become a book. I, you know, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm not prepared to say it will be, but I, I certainly think it, it will be in my next book. Well, thank you for uh, uh, blessing us with, with that. I appreciate it very much. Well, I have a couple of questions uh, not directly related to the book, Seth, I'd love to ask you about. Before I do, though, is there anything else from the book that you, you want to make sure that we walk away with? I just want people to know the, the reason I, I wrote it. And the reason I wrote it is I see driven people, self-destructing, and it doesn't have to be that way. Mm. And um, I, I get regular feedback, and it's one of the things that surprised, I don't I won't say surprised me, but it blesses me, to use your words. Um, I get notes from people who either saw my TEDx talk or read the book, and they're like, holy cow, this hit me right between the eyes. Mm. And um, I, it's, it's unspoken. This everybody's talking about chasing the dream, but very few people talk about how to regulate their ambition. And so that's the purpose behind it. So it's not a long book, but I really tried to pack as 
much as I could in there that would be practical and useful. So, Well, as, as a reader of a lot of business books, I will say that it's a rare one that doesn't have a little unneeded padding. So thank you for not f- feeling like you had to put anything in it unnecessarily. I appreciated the brevity and feel like it was as long as it needed to be. Well, even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. And it's funny because <laughs> this was my first book and, and, mm. and I was supposed to do, you know, my chapters a little longer. And I basically said, no, I mean, I, I've said what I need to say. I think, you know, in the future, I might, you know, some more stories and whatnot. Mm. You, you learn as you go. But really, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for how it, how it turned out. And I'm proud of it. Think about those you've read over the years, Seth, and, and share with me maybe one or two that really stick out as having had a big impact on you. And, and maybe share, too, if you can, why or how they impacted you as they, as they did. Mm. All right. So I'll give you one fiction. Well, one autobiography and one nonfiction. So the mm. autobiography was probably a Theodore Rex uh, about Teddy Roosevelt. And um, I will say that I, I tend to struggle a little bit with being con- overly concerned about what people might perceive about me. Mm. And that holds back. And I see Roosevelt as somebody who wrestled with that, but also pushed through it and, and actually did what his conscience compelled him to do. Mm. And so he was viewed as a as a maverick, as a challenger, as a reformer. In many ways today, people would call him a progressive. I would They wouldn't call him a liberal, I don't think, but a progressive in that he stood up to the powerful interests that were basically running the table if they were allowed to. And he just said, not on my watch. And so I just, I really admire him. Uh, The book Theodore Rex is by, gosh, it may be McCullough, I can't remember. But it's a fantastic book and uh, really introduced me to some of the details about what drove Theodore Roosevelt. So that's a good one I, I like. And then in terms of business books, the, the book that I find to be the most helpful for building a culture inside a business is by a guy named Patrick Lencioni. Mm. And he's becoming a m- more popular. And I discovered this probably five years ago before he was really well known. And the book, The Advantage, uh, Why Organizational Health Trumps Everything Else in Business is, is very, very profound. Uh, it's a lot like a secret diet. And you open it up and you're like, oh, my gosh, this looks simple. And then you realize, yeah, it's simple, but it's difficult. You know, mm-hmm. it's not that it's complex that we don't do it. It's because it takes real courage and real effort to implement. And, and so that book really does a great job. And I use it in strategic planning for some of our clients at Cathedral Consulting, where we help them start with, all right, uh, you got to build a cohesive team. You got to get clear on where you're going and you got to figure out how to reinforce and communicate that clarity as you go. And walking people through that process is fun for me because in the same way that you know, when we lead our kids at home, we're trying to produce character. Mm. I find that as leaders leading businesses, what we're trying to produce there is culture. And it's it's really a similar process. Mm. And uh, Lencioni does a great job of providing these frameworks that make it approachable. You know, some of these other books that, you know, I have a lot of respect for, they have a lot of research and a lot of diagrams, but can you actually put it to use in the business? And what I like about uh, the book, The Advantage is you, you really can yeah, I'm a Pat Lencioni fan. Had a chance to to walk through uh, his five dysfunctions of a team book uh, with uh, a team I was working with at the time, and and that's always had a, a lasting impact on me. Well, uh, you uh, as you mentioned, you've done a TEDx talk. You, you do quite a bit of public speaking. Uh, share what you try to accomplish on stage to ensure that you're giving uh, what you consider to be an impactful and, and a memorable public talk? Well, I, I think the first thing is, uh, is I, I try to remind myself it's not about me, it's about them. Mm. And so 
preparation gives me permission to relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. It helps me convince myself, hey, you've done the work. Just relax here. Mm. And to make it about them and to connect. You know, I've spent a fair amount of time. Uh, I've been trained and I still work at it and they'll have more to grow. And so I think relieving the pressure of having to hit a grand slam actually makes it more likely that you might hit a home run or a grand slam. Mm. Um, and then I remind myself, and this is something I think I heard it from Michael Hyatt, is just, you know, that, hey, I'm going to open up my heart and lives are going to be changed today. And I get to do this. And it's a privilege and really getting myself uh, grounded in gratitude, which wouldn't surprise you with a book like the one I wrote, um, <laughs> that I really frame it in this context of this is a privilege and people are going to grab a hold of ideas and lives will be changed. And I'll, I mean, probably will never know about it. That's the mindset I try to take. And then I just try to be real as, as real as I can and um, just let it go. Hmm. Well, let me ask finally, Seth, uh, what's next up for you? What are you and your team working on now that you're excited about? You said you might have another book in you, but apart from that, what are you looking forward to going forward? So I, I did something uh, I hadn't done about nine months ago. I bought a business. And so <laughs> the, the story is I had uh, hired Cathedral Consulting to help us grow our business. And uh, they did. And we grew. And then eventually I sold that business. And, and right about the time we were selling the business, my mentor who had started the business, uh, crashed his airplane and actually died in, in the crash. And so uh, I observed from a distance as Cathedral was was dealing with this traumatic loss of their, their visionary founder. And then as I uh, got a little closer to the operations, um, about 18 months later, the opportunity came for me to buy the business from from his widow. And so now I have offices on the West Coast in Southern Oregon. I'm, I'm actually going to Portland for some speaking and some client meetings today. And then I have offices in Manhattan and New Jersey. And so I'm, I'm doing this bi-coastal thing. Mm. And um, so I'm really excited about the team there. Um, we tend to, to focus on the clients in the lower middle market. So, you know, one million to 20 million. And and we provide business strategy and financial consulting to them to basically help them grow their business. And many times we're also helping them think about how they exit or transition their business to the next generation. What's unique about serving the smaller business community is, you know, you have to be generalists that are also technical. And in other words, when you get a really large corporation, they can hire these experts who come in and do this narrow work that's really specialized. But when you work with small to medium sized businesses, you have to know what happens if I pull this lever, mm. how is it going to impact all the other parts of the business? And so that's the space we live in. And, um, you know, we have affordable rates that are made for the smaller side of the market, but we're also bringing kind of that best in class, you know, best practices to them. So that's the space we're hammering out and uh, we're enjoying it and we're making good progress. So that's that's where I spend my working hours these days is with Cathedral Consulting. Well, um, I first had a chance to meet Seth just a couple of months ago at a conference here in Nashville. Seth and I had lunch, uh, and now Seth and I are in a mastermind group together. That's when I had a chance to uh, find out more about his book and dive into it. And I'm glad that those serendipitous moments at the conference took place so that we could be here where we are uh, today. The book, again, is Ambition, Leading with Gratitude, and his name is Seth Bueckley. Seth, thank you so much for for being a part of the show and, and giving of your time. It's been my honor, Jeff, and uh, grateful for what you do. And uh, I guess we just proved Seth Godin's philosophy uh, true, which is you start and then things unfold. And so I (laughs) took a trip to Nashville. I met you and, uh, you know, my world is better for it. So grateful for this opportunity. I've made keeping up with everything Seth and I discussed really simple. You can visit the show notes page created just for this episode, and you can find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 191 for episode 191. 
You'll find the highlights from the episode, the resources and books that Seth mentioned, and there's even a great little video that my sister yesterday just so happened to share on social media about gratitude. And since that was a big part of our discussion today with Seth, I thought it was perfect timing. To check out all that and more, again, go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash 191. Over the years, the Read to Lead podcast has received 333 ratings and reviews. And of those 333, 320 are five stars. And I can't say thank you enough. That kind of support and feedback means a lot. If you've yet to rate and review the podcast and would like to, one way to do that is from the podcast app on your iPhone or in iTunes at readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes. If you're an Android user and happen to use the Stitcher app, you can go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. We say thanks again to our sponsor, FreshBooks, at freshbooks.com slash readtolead to take advantage of that 30-day trial. And be sure to answer Read to Lead in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener listener become a vital member of the community visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com until next time remember leaders read and readers lead 